0: Welcome to the Frank Sontag Show. Steve Arterburn here filling in. I've got a great hour for you with one of the greatest people I've ever met in my life. Fred Stoker is going to be on with me. And um, before that, though, I just want to mention, you know, I was um, in Laguna Beach when uh, the fires almost burned down the entire town. In fact, there, the thing just kept going. And crossed over the road there in Laguna Canyon, came up the hill, and there were all these old houses down below. And um, the fire fire department just decided if they didn't stop it at this one place, uh, it it was not going to be good. I mean, the whole they thought the whole town could go up. So they made this one last stand, and it was uh, literally that the fire stopped two houses down from my house. And we evacuated, and I remember getting Madeline in the car and driving down the hill, planes flying over, dropping uh, the fire retardant, all that It was like something out of a movie. Madeline says to me, oh, Daddy. I said, what? Forgot my froggy purse. And um, I reached around the back seat. <laughs> I had gone back in to get that froggy purse. <laughs> and it was one of the greatest things I ever did in my life. And of course uh, we were spared. But I just remember the horror and the terror of that time, and I know a lot of folks are going through that right now. And so we need to pray for everybody, anybody. And we need to be safe and we need to be smart uh, because it's it's horrible. It's no fun. And uh, I'm praying for you. I know what that's like. Well, years ago, I got a phone call. It was from a publisher And his name was Dan Rich. He worked for Waterbrook. And he said, Steve, um, I've got a guy, he's got a manuscript that he's written. And uh, I want to know if you'd like to be part of a book that he's going to publish. I said, Dan, I'm really, really not interested in it. He told me it was about pornography. And I said, "I, I wrote a book called Addicted to Love about this romance, relationship, sexual addiction, all this lust and stuff. Said it sells about a thousand copies a year, is all. Said I've kind of done it. He said, Would you read the manuscript? I said, Okay, I will. And um, Mike Yorkie, when he was asked to be part of this, well, he, he, he said no. And uh, I said no. But then I read the manuscript, and there was something very special about it. And I said yes. I said yes to writing a book with Fred Stoker. And uh, I've got Fred on with me today, and very, very happy uh, to have Fred here. Fred, how you doing?
1: I am doing great. You're about bringing tears to my eyes. I remember those moments myself.
0: Well, it was really, uh, it was it was just a phenomenal thing uh, when I, I got to read the manuscript, and, and I'll tell everybody in a minute what I thought was so special about it, but also then I got to know you, and, Fred, I remember you saying, Steve, I had a vision from God that there would be six books and they would be uh, sold, millions would sell, all over the world in many different languages. And I remember thinking, yes, Fred, every unpublished author uh, has kind of that same vision. And But you know what? I... I came to know you, and I came to believe that that vision was true. You were really called to this in a very supernatural way. And I think now um, there have been four million, over 4 million books sold. And how many languages is Every Man's Battle in across the world yeah, now? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think it's about 30 languages now. Yeah,
0: yeah. Which is it stunning, really did. It? Yeah, it is. And it all came true. And uh, you know, you were, you had your own problems, and and you had kids, and you were successful in business. You're you're a brilliant guy. I mean, you graduated from Stanford uh, Stanford University with honors. You played football, and you you couldn't find something to help your kids, and and so you wrote it yourself. You want to talk about the initial thought about Every Man's Battle?
1: Yeah, I mean. What happened was uh, this would have been, I don't know, gosh, I guess it's about 30, 30, 40 years ago Uh, Mm -hmm. during that time frame when I was just newly married, and I had had a pornography problem before I got married and, and then I got married and I thought marriage would stop it naturally well, of and it course. didn't. <laughs> and um so I I got to the point where I just couldn't stand it anymore. It's kind of a short way of saying it. And mm-hmm. uh uh I finally engaged the battle for real. I'd prayed many times, you know, that the Lord would take that away. But in the end I realized that I had to be the one to fight that battle obviously, with his help. I mean, I wouldn't even want to be pure if it wasn't for him. But uh, the thing is, is that by God's grace, I won. I I was expecting to lose, but I I actually won. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I started telling my story in my church. Uh, And I was finding that what I was sharing with him, the practical steps that God had shown me to, to get free was helping other guys. And so I was real excited about that. And I kept watching bookstores to see when someone would finally write a book that had these same kinds of practical steps in it. And it, it just never happened. Yeah. And about 10 years later, I felt the Lord tap me and say, you know, I, I Essentially, I want you to write it and the funny thing is just last week I drove by Chamberlain South Dakota which is where I wrote the first five chapters mm-hmm. and uh, you know I was on a business trip and things weren't all going all that well so I just kind of canceled my business trip and sat down the hotel and started writing and you know the rest is history it, yeah. it's um, I didn't I never expected to be an author uh, never expected to write a book uh, and then I ended up writing six with you and uh, watching all this unfold. So uh, the main thing I just want to say is that um, these practical steps set me free, and completely, and I've been free ever since. And then I taught my sons these same principles. They've been free their entire lives, and I just want people to be encouraged. It is possible to be free.
0: Yeah, that's what what people need to know. And I'll tell you, Fred, there, there's a, so much in every man's battle, but what I think, is a little thing, but it's a big thing. What I think happened with, with the book is that there's so many books about, well, it's not good to lust, look at pornography. We all know it's a bad thing, you know, but this book, rather than shame men, it suggested that they could do something. And when men read it, they said, I think I can do that. But the men that read it first were pastors. And I I know you remember these days, Every Man's Battle was the most frequently reordered book in Christian bookstores because pastors, once they read it, they would go in and they'd say, I want every copy you have because they wanted their men to read it. But what it said was you could bounce your eyes. And it's it's not it's not a doesn't sound like a big deal, but I think men read that and they thought, yes, I could do that. I could look away. I could bounce my eyes and it doesn't make the person the problem. It makes you the problem. You either bounce your eyes or you don't. You either stare and lust or you don't. And I think that was a breakthrough for a lot of people.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, it certainly was for me, Steve. Um, I remember when I was first uh, fighting the battle, um, one of the first things the Holy Spirit did was just remind me of something I had learned at Stanford so many years ago. I was in a human sexuality class, and they were talking about studies that were done in the 1950s all the way back then Hmm. that were showing that the male eye can draw sexual gratification right out of the environment. I mean, you don't have to have a girl involved. You don't have to be touching anyone. uh, You can just picture on a page. Mm -hmm. uh, It's just like the same kind of gratification you get if the woman was right there with you. And that was a big breakthrough for me uh, Mm. because I suddenly realized that what had happened was I had gotten into this real bad habit of staring and lusting. And I realized that that was doing more than just, I mean, that was more than me just sinning. I mean, it was literally me... Um, just kind of allowing this kind of a chemical thing happen in me that uh, dumps this sexual pleasure into my brain. And if I would just stop that drug dump, that pleasure dump into my brain, I had a real chance of winning. And so, you know, when you say that other men saw that too, I think, you know, it's pretty natural for men by nature, just by our our normal uh, creation to look at women and and to look at them too long, um, but obviously the Bible tells us that we're supposed to live in our supernature through the power of Christ, and we're not. We don't have to live at that lower level. We can actually rise above it. And as I began to put those rules into place and allow and to train my eyes to bounce away, breakthroughs started to happen almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And I've heard that from many men through the yeah, years,
0: just like you right. have. Right. Well, and to just not see a woman as body parts that gratify you, but to see her as a whole human being, is it, and then to start to honor her and, as you say, the essence of her and not trample on her and all the other things that we do is such a um, such a, a blessing to her, but also to us. And I just want to mention uh, before we go on about some other things, this this research that we saw we we did the updated version. Things that we didn't know when we wrote the first book, and uh, right. everybody should know that you know it it is your manuscript. I helped with it, but it this was. I really believe the Holy Spirit guiding you as you wrote it. But one of the things that research showed was that when you have a sexual experience, you start to release oxytocin, which is a bonding hormone, same kind of hormone, same hormone that mothers release when they are nursing a baby. And it provides this kind of supernatural bonding uh, to between mother and baby, and cave woman would go out and she'd kill a lion if it was threatening the baby that she's bonded to. Well, right. when you're when you're using pornography, as you know, and you have a, a sexual experience, there is the release of oxytocin, and you become bonded to the pornography, which means it becomes something that you value, and you become aggressive against anything. That's a threat to what you're bonded to. So you wonder why you can't stand your wife that you love so much. It's because she's a threat to your source of gratification, which produced the oxytocin. And so you're aggressive against her. You don't want the pornography taken away. I just think that was earth shattering for me and a lot of people that it's not just a habit. There's more to it than that. It's hormonal. It's hormonal. And you're taking something natural that God did to bring us together as men and women, and you're, you're literally uh, abusing it, and it's keeping you locked in and locking your wife out.
1: That is true. And as you also remember, some of the uh, research we've seen, the brain research we've seen over the last 20 years, which we did not have back when we were writing the manuscript, was that the brain is plastic. It's a lot more malleable than we thought. Yeah. And so when we look at things, the brain also releases dopamine, uh, which right. is a um, a reward chemical that locks in the memories. And that actually builds neural pathways in your brain that make it easier and quicker to get to that sexual high the next time you look at porn. So the brain actually gets stronger and stronger at taking you down that pathway. And what we need to realize, I mean, I remember there were times where people would say to me, well, how can bouncing the eyes really help all that much? Well, when we see the research that you've mentioned, what I've just mentioned, uh, it becomes very obvious that if you're going to win this battle, it's it's not just a spiritual battle where you're trying to kind of pray your way out of it. It's also a physical battle where you have taken your brain in a direction and built it in a direction that actually sets you up to lose. And the way that we can break that and to kind of return your brain to original specs is to stop looking, is to turn away, is to break those habits that built that those pathways in the first place. So, it's really exciting. I, the 20th anniversary version. I mean, if if people read Every Man's Battle, say eight years ago, uh, but they haven't read the new one, uh, they really should read the new one because it has so much more research to back up everything we said. We didn't say anything that we had to retract. No. In this version, but the great thing is we've actually got uh, physical brain research and hormonal research that really backs up the points we made all those years ago.
0: Well, you know the great reward for being part of this. Um, we, the church I'm where I'm teaching pastor. Uh, you know we've got twelve campuses and four of them are in state prisons, and it's it's a big church, and and so the youth pastor there. Uh, Kurt Brobeck he he is one amazing human being and uh, my son Solomon and I he he preached one Sunday and I went down to tell him what a great job he had done and there in front of uh, Solomon he says well you know I I wouldn't even be in mis- ministry if I hadn't read every man's battle it changed everything for me and I know <laughs> you have thousands of stories like that that this gave guys not not shame but a path out that honored women.
1: Yeah, you know the funny thing about this shame issue is that shame is is a very devastating uh aspect I think to the human spirit, the human soul, and mm-hmm. a lot of times we that shame can literally make us want that sexual gratification because for a moment it makes us feel better. And um the great thing about Every Man's Battle, you know, you mentioned there's no shame in it. Uh, we have heard that from people, I'll bet, thousand times, haven't we, Steve? Yes, and the thousands. thing is, is that I never felt any shame during the battle. I just yep. felt an urgency. I felt like the Holy Spirit was involved, and I wanted to please the Father and all those things. And uh, I just... I mean, there's no way I'm going to write shame into the book when I never felt it myself during the battle. So I think it it turned out the way God wanted it, because I don't think God looks at it from a shame point of view. I think he looks at it from a point of view of, you're my son, Uh, we're going to win this thing together, then we're going to go on to bigger and better things, and we're going to change the world. So that's how I always saw it, and I know that's how you see it, too, Steve.
0: Absolutely. And you know, it wasn't just uh, the bouncing the eyes. I think that was a, a really amazing thing, simple thing that men latched onto. But the other thing was this whole issue of the Mustang mind that and what we do <laughs> with our thought life. Talk about that a little bit, because it was also really big in people turning this thing around.
1: Yeah, well, there are there are really two ways that lust gets into us. One is through the eyes and one is through the brain. And, um, you know, lately I've heard a lot of this, that, you know, really the brain is our largest sex organ. I mean, you can do so much in your brain through lust uh, that is pretty incredible. But, you know, for me, um, what had happened was that, um, you know, I got my eyes under control. And as I write in the book, it took about six weeks, but I didn't have complete full victory for a while because I didn't have my 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 mind under control. I would still find that my mind would go in those uh, lustful directions. And there was one particular uh, girl in my life that had been in my life years before. And she had always been someone that You know, when I was having a breakup or I was having problems in my life, I'd always wish I was back with her, and I always think of all the fun times we had together uh, physically and all that. And uh, there was really one day that I was driving down the road. um, Just I was in sales at the time, and, you know, the Lord said, you know, you can't think of her like this anymore. You're married. And I was fiercely angry because she was a bit like a um, lifesaver on a ship, you know, toss the the ring out to save the guy. And I just didn't think I wanted to live without that life preserver, but the Lord wrestled with me for a minute and pinned me, and that was that. And so I had to figure out a way to win. And. One of the things I found is that the Bible says that we are to take thoughts captive. And, and what I found at first is that I, I just didn't know how to do that. I mean, thoughts would come and I, I wouldn't know how to handle them. But one of the things I found right away was that even though I couldn't take the thought captive and stop it in its tracks, I could replace that thought. Yeah. Uh, I did have that much power. That's right. And so I literally, at the time, I had 50 hymns memorize four verses each. And whenever thoughts of that girl would come into my head, I would start singing a hymn. And if she was still there after that hymn, I'd sing another one. And and uh, <laughs> one of the things I found is that over time, as I disciplined myself, is that once I had established that m- level of control where I could replace the thought, I found that my mind learned how to literally take the thought captive. I could just th- throw those thoughts out my ear. And what I found is that that started to spread into every area of my life. I mean, I, the thoughts, I could just stop thoughts, take them captive, and uh, move ahead. And, and one of the things I found back then as I talked to my other friends is that I had one in particular that, uh, you know, didn't have his thoughts under control about an old girlfriend, and he didn't think it was any big problem. I told him it was a problem, uh, but he never thought it was much of a problem until she showed up in town one day. And right, Fred, uh, i got to
0: interrupt you. i got to interrupt okay. you. I've got a hard break. I've got to go, go to. We'll we'll I'm going to continue to with you, and we'll finish that story, and we're, I want to talk about Uh, The Mutually Submissive Marriage, right after this, which you have so brilliantly written about. We'll be back right after this break. Steve Arterburn here, and my great, wonderful co-author guest, Fred Stoker, is with me. And I just want to mention that we do an Every Man's Battle workshop every month at New Life. really is powerful. Uh, I'll also mention that, um, you know, we do a Restore workshop for women who have been hurt by pornography. Um, and then finally, before I go back to Fred, if you want to ask Fred something about Every Man's Battle, eight 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 fifty two talks is the toll-free number. Or if you have a comment about how sexual addiction, or lust, pornography, affairs have affected your life, here's the number, 888-528-2557. I'd love to hear from you, and I'm sure Fred would also. Fred, um, your ministry is called Living True Ministries, and people can get in touch with you at fredstoker.com. I want to tell people uh, about your wisdom, you know, from time to time, we've had people that want to criticize every man's battle, and and um, I think millions of lives changed doesn't really matter to them. And uh, you know, sometimes I've called you and said, "Oh, we ought to answer them. We ought to tell them, you know, what what's real and true and all that." And your wisdom has said, "No, don't, <laughs> don't, don't acknowledge them. You know, don't answer them because nothing that we would say." would matter because they're just people that want to be against things and they don't look at uh, the what something has done to help others. And I just have always appreciated your wisdom. But one of the things that a lot of people are not aware of is that Every Man's Battle wasn't the only book. And I think Every Man's Marriage is a book that every man, if he would read it, Uh, it would transform his marriage because it's about mutual submission. Talk about that a little bit because it really is one of the most uh, honoring, wife-honoring books, I think, on the market, Every Man's Marriage.
1: Yes, and Every Man's Marriage was actually an even earlier part of my life. Uh, It was written about just the first two years of my marriage, where my leadership uh, was based upon basically, I rule and my wife submits. And uh, that's not a biblical picture. And it wasn't something that was working very well either. And uh, there came a point in my life where, after about two years into my marriage, my wife came in at breakfast, sat down across the kitchen table and leveled a finger at me and said, I don't know how else to say this, but my feelings for you are dead and uh you know as a kid from uh, as a guy from a broken home that about shattered me and i quickly had to figure out what in the world and so i went to uh a pastor and he said something i never thought of and it was from ephesians 5:21 that says that we as christians are to live in mutual submission to each other and then uh it went on from there talking about marriage and And in marriage, that's where mutual submission is defined its highest expression. And uh, essentially what mutual submission is uh, from a male point of view is that, you know, I'm the leader of my home spiritually and being the spiritual leader of my home. I need to be not the governing center or the ruler or the chief tiebreaker on all the votes. I'm supposed to be the um, life source of my home, where, like Jesus was for his bride, uh, yeah. bringing life through sacrifice. And uh, what I began to understand was that if I needed to have my focus be on making sure that my wife and kids were able to blossom under my leadership, that even their even their weaknesses would be respected and and honored and uh, of course you don't want to keep your weaknesses but I don't have to trample my wife about her weaknesses either. And right. so the whole idea is that I think manhood is based upon defending and protecting the beauty in our lives, our wives, our kids, and part of that is to take on a mindset, a heroic mindset of being the life source, the strength, the one that uplifts and holds up, uh, so that everyone in the home is blossoming and um, just growing in the grace of God.
0: Well, I would say any wife who has a uh, is in a relationship where it's kind of a dictator doormat kind of relationship, and and your husband's saying this is the way God wants it to be. Well, this book, Every Man's Marriage, would be such a, a great thing for your husband to read. There's nothing in the life of Christ that shows uh that he would support someone being overbearing, controlling, uh, and like a dictator. And it does say, Ephesians 5, 21, and further submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And then it talks about a woman submitting to a man. There are about forty words or so. But then it talks about something more demanding, and that's about ninety words on a man's need to die. To himself, And uh, when a man is dying to himself and a woman is submitting to a man who's dying to himself, that's mutual submission. I believe that's the model that God calls for. We've got a caller here. And if you do have a, a phone call, if you want to talk to Fred, it's 888-52-TALKS. Here is, um, we've got Danny on the line. Let's uh, Let's talk with Danny here. Danny, you Fred Stoker and Steve Arterburn. How you doing? Ah, oh, too blessed to be stressed. Thank you guys for taking my call. Appreciate you guys tuning sure. in. My question was about uh, oral sex and the, um, does it defile the marriage? And if so, the marriage bed. And if so, if my wife would rather have me, uh, relieve myself through porn instead of cheating on her with a side chick, uh, does that make it Okay. Even though I'd rather not watch porn, I'd rather have a fight
1: trip. Well, okay, the first thing is uh, we have to look at what sex was designed to do. And uh, God created sex uh, to be between a husband and a wife. And because of the way that we talked about earlier about the chemistry involved, uh, he meant sex to be something that would bond a wife and a husband together and that that sex should be happening just between a husband and a wife. So um, my first comment on that then would be, um, if you are not having regular sex with your wife, which I think biblically you can make a point that um, it's the, the way that God wants it, is that there would be regular sex between a husband and wife. If she's not interested in sex, uh, my first question is, why? and if if you're not if you're not interested in in healing that and making sure that there's regular sex going on between you and your wife as opposed to say uh some other kind of a sex gig whatever um then again I would ask why and I would ask that from a biblical standpoint um because I feel like unless it's aligning with that biblical line, uh, you know standpoint Sex is not going to be helping you. It's not going to be helping your wife. It's not going to be helping your kids. It's not going to be helping the kingdom. And I know that that may sound a little uh, abstract, but in my own life, until I got integrated in my sexuality where it was aligned with the Bible, nothing was working well between my wife and I. Yeah, well,
0: it's not, not a shutdown. Oh, it's perfect. That's perfect. Well, you know, here's the other thing that I, I think that a wife gets so hurt, uh, she's asked to do things she's not comfortable with, and, you know, you we go to great lengths in the book to talk about that That when you're married, if something's not demeaning, degrading, there are those things, and uh, there there are things in one box that the guy wants to do, and there are things in the other box that a woman wants to do or is willing to do and where they intersect that's those are the things that are okay between a married couple and i don't care what society says uh marriage outside of uh, sex outside of the marriage it just causes all sorts of problems and a man trying to pressure a woman to do something, or even the woman nowadays trying to, to pressure versus have an atmosphere where it's playful, where we can explore things, it can be so destructive to the relationship. And so sex needs to be a bonding, honoring experience, no matter what's involved. Is that helpful at all to you, Danny, or do we need that's to go right into Right on. That's uh, more than helpful, can't you, prayer? and uh give the glory to God, thank you both yeah you're oh, you're, you're welcome, welcome Danny well, Fred, you know, I do think that there are are folks well, I know there are folks that will go to a verse and they'll they'll say, you know the Bible says, don't withhold sex well yeah it does it does say that, but if all you've got is a verse to throw at your wife to be sexual, then there's a problem. And you really need to get help for that that problem and just throwing a verse at somebody, it it's not gonna help, most likely.
1: Yeah, and I, I know the verse you're talking about is in First Corinthians seven. And, you know, it talks about the fact that, you know, men are not to withhold sex from their wives and wives are not to withhold sex from their husbands and um i think what god meant really there is that well wait a second don't
0: don't say don't don't say what god meant because i've got another one of these breaks but we'll come back fred and i'll finish out with you here i'm really glad to be with you today you're listening to kkla really glad that you're with me today we'll take a break we'll come right back after this steve arterburn here with fred stoker Steve Arterburn here, talking with my co-author, one of the best men I've ever known. It's such a privilege to work with Fred on Every Man's Battle and Every Man's Marriage. Fred, you were just in the midst of of some stuff, and I want you to finish that. What were you What were you saying about in the mutually submissive marriage?
1: Yes, well part of that mutual submission, obviously, is is um, written in 1 Corinthians 7, where the Lord says that we are to not withhold our bodies from our spouses, okay? And you had mentioned that that's not to be a weapon or a stick, you know, to make your spouse do something sexually that they don't want to do or to demean them in any way. And I guess I just wanted to make the point that uh, along these lines, the Bible is, you know, it teaches us right and wrong. And God intended it to teach us what's right and what's wrong. But he also intended the Bible to paint a picture for us as to what's normal and what isn't. And I think what he's painting in 1 Corinthians 7 is what is normal in marriage. Um, Regular sex between a husband and wife is what he expects and what he wishes for and desires. And uh, that is how we are to kind of view, uh, view, I guess it's kind of a viewfinder for us. I mean, for me, this is how I look at it. I would never in a million years say to Brenda, look, uh, you have to do this for me because your body is mine. That's absurd. And that's not loving and uh, certainly not uh, any kind of a way for me to build her up and to build a bond with between us. Uh, what I see that verse meaning is just simply this. This is how marriage should be. If your marriage isn't like this, you need to start asking questions. You need to ask your wife, what am I doing? honey i mean am i overbearing am i being in some some way that takes away your sexual attraction to me um and she needs to be able to do that same thing and kind of look at our sex life through that same vision uh, that the Lord has painted there in 1 Corinthians 7. And uh, we need to ask questions until we can be one together sexually. That's right. sort of how I see it, uh, because I know there's just no way God's going to want us to use verses like that, just as you said, as some kind of a weapon to force our way to get what we want.
0: No, and and just to uh, to clarify there are some great men who are very kind and loving, and maybe the wife has a wound or, or something like that. It, it's not always a result of the guy's out lusting or he's a bad husband or whatever. Oh, you're he, right. There, there yeah. are some really great guys that are in some very, very tough situations. It goes both ways. Yeah. Well, Fred, uh, I would love for you to encourage men. Uh, in any way that you see fit before I have to say goodbye to you here. But what what do you say to a guy who he's just kind of on the fringe and he's not fully committed to the Lord, and maybe this this is the reason, sexual integrity?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, the first thing I would say is it isn't necessarily something that you put you know, put together in your own mind that your sexual sin is the thing that's keeping you from being closer to God. But I can tell you, in my own life, that was definitely true. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that my eyes were basically heat-seeking missiles, looking for every hot body curve I could find, um, and not really being fully committed uh, to my wife in that way, where my entire sex life was hers. Um, it it did make all the difference. I can tell you uh, that as soon as that victory was established after about six weeks, um, my worship life at church completely changed, and uh, my connection to Brenda and the way I looked at her completely changed. So, Mm. Uh, a lot of times we look at it and we go, gosh, you know, I'm not all that close to God. I'm on this fringe and I don't really know what to do. And we're we're thinking we should read the next book or we should go to the next uh, meeting or uh, maybe someone would have some kind of a trick for me that I would finally break through. Uh, a lot of times what it comes down to is that we need to just open our heart to the Lord, open our uh hearts to his truths and step into those truths Amen. and a uh, breakthrough will happen. Um, I did not expect the breakthroughs that came into my life from victory over sexual sin. The mm. only thing I expected was that my guilt would go away. I yeah. had no idea that my worship life would explode. I had no idea that my connection to Brenda would get stronger. Um, and, and so now because it, it did the blessings there for you.
0: Yeah. And look at the people that have been impacted because of it. all right, I think yeah. we got time for one more call here. And this is from Richie. Um, I think I just cut Fred off there for some reason. Don't know why. But anyway, that's too bad. All right. Richie, you have a question.
1: Yes. Uh, just real quickly. Pop one question on um, that scripture says it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Um, In the past five years, I've had such an urge for the hormonal part, a very strong urge, and then the masturbation is very strong, and I want to know if it's a sin, or should I marry, or because I feel terrible after I do the act, you know, and I'm just like, God, please, what's what's the answer to this? Because I don't want to sin, but then the downstairs there, it just constantly wants to go, you know, go forward. And yeah. uh and I'm I'm praying to be, you know, pure for my wife and getting counseling and celebrate recovery therapy, trying to work on my issues sexually and not into pornography, but just the urge down there is just very powerful as an older man.
0: Well well let me say this. Um there are a lot of things to uh consider. And one is how it's making you feel. You're you're experiencing something that is uh gratifying in the short term but long term you're being saddled with some guilt and shame. So uh for you it seems like nothing anybody's going to say is going to provide a a better way of living than you deciding I'm going to do whatever it takes. And guys that uh, you you don't have to uh masturbate. You you're not going to blow up or die or anything like we've never lost anybody yet. And so if it's causing this kind of shame, I I think uh, you know that you you could start going to uh, a sex addicts anonymous meeting a life recovery meeting or start your own Bible study where guys are talking about things there there have been so many groups in uh, colleges universities where guys have found freedom because they're so obsessed we know it's wrong when it's it's danger it's it's injuring you we know it's wrong when you're lusting after somebody you're not married to uh, there are all sorts of things or ways that we know when it's wrong but for you personally i just would want you to be free and i think that when you come alongside a couple other guys and you're open and honest about this uh i think you can find that freedom fred's back on fred your thought about uh, a single guy who just he cannot stop what do you think
1: well um in the original Every Man's Battle, we didn't talk anything about uh, friendships, intimacy, connection with other guys. Uh, but in the new version, we do. And one of the points that we make in the book is that a lot of times we seek false intimacy through sexual sin, masturbation, those things, in that um, as we form tighter relationships with other men, and uh, begin talking about these things and working together on the battle, that a lot of times that desire for the false intimacy disappears because we're building genuine intimacy into our lives. So uh, I would just say that if you're single, if you don't have a lot of connection with other men, uh, it's a really good thing to get involved in a small group with other men and to address this battle together.
0: Yeah. I I think that you that's guys. I totally believe that.
1: God yeah. bless you and I know it does work.
0: Yeah, and I I'm really sorry what you're going through, but we've we've just seen so many guys experience true victory in this area and I would I want that for you and I'm so grateful uh that you called and um Thank you for calling. All right. You know, we're just about out of time, Fred, and uh, I want to thank you for being on with me and uh, re- recommend, folks, you if you've ever, ever read uh, Every Man's Battle, you've got the, uh, we've got a new version that we put together. And, um, and so God bless you, Fred, and uh, we'll see you down the road. One of the greatest blessings to my life, no question about that, and a blessing to so many other people. You know, if you have a problem with sexual integrity and it's producing all this shame, we have a workshop for you. It's called Every Man's Battle Workshop. It's not like the book. It's very different. And uh, we've seen so many men uh, not just stop something that's wrong, but start a whole new life that they never dreamed they could have. And the intimacy that they have with their wife is is absolutely amazing. You can find out everything that we do at New Life by going to kkla.com. Uh, forward slash new life. You could call us at 1 800 new life. I do have uh, some great, great handouts here. One is a a wonderful audio recording I did with Max Lucato on fearless living. And I've got a 10 point or 10 tips on how to live without fear that we'll get to you. Uh, I also want to mention it's not just every man's battle, but the best selling men's study Bible is every man's Bible. And you can find out about that at kkla.com forward slash new life uh, i'm going to be right back here tomorrow and looking forward to that i hope you'll uh, join me I've got a couple other guests that we're going to have it's a great privilege to get to be in a place that is so intimate it's just you and me wherever you are i love that part of christian radio and i'm thankful for this great station that it does such a great job of getting the truth out there and uh, i will see you then